He had he instituted the feast of Passover. The last plague to go through the land of Egypt was the plague of death. And the plague of the firstborn, every household who has a firstborn is going to have someone dead in it in the morning. Unless what happened? God told Moses, my people should take the blood of a lamb and put it over the doorposts. And when the death angel comes through the land of Egypt and he sees the blood, he will pass over your house. Now, folks, if we all knew that tonight... There was going to be a death angel pass over Preston. Unless you put some blood on your door, how many of you are going to get a lamb and get some blood on your door tonight? I'm going to. I have 13 children. I wouldn't want to lose anyone. And not my first. I wouldn't want to give anybody's firstborn. But you know what? We would do that because we would believe God's word. And this is what the children of Israel did. They celebrated Passover every year. I found something out this week. Did you know what they would normally do on the Sunday, the first day of the week before Passover, what they would do on the first day of the week? On that Sunday, if you will, before Passover, they would choose their lamb. Okay? They would choose their lamb. Now think about this. The disciples are on their way to Jerusalem. And the passage we're going to read this morning um, from the book of Luke is going to talk to us about what's going on as they get closer to Jerusalem and as they enter the city. All right. Now, it's important for us to understand this. I, I, I did the, a little bit of a lesson last night with my boys. I asked four of my boys, I said, I want four of you boys to tell me, describe what happened today. Just talk about the events of the day. And it was very interesting. You know, the four different responses, four different boys told me four different things. They kind of covered the same things, generally speaking, but they added different details. When we read the gospel accounts, like I'm suggesting we do this week in Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, imagine calling four witnesses to the stand. And they all observed the same, let's say they saw an accident, or they saw something happen. They're all going to have a little different take on it, a little different angle. But basically, they're talking about the same thing. Now, as we read through the Gospels, Matthew makes some points that Luke doesn't. And John will emphasize something that Mark doesn't. But it's interesting, as you read the Gospel accounts, you get a pretty good picture of what's going on. And what we're going to do this morning is, I chose Luke. If you would, please, turn in your Bibles to the book of Luke. And if you don't have a Bible and you come to church without a Bible, we've got some in the back on the shelf there. Normally, I read from the English Standard Version. Pastor Bill preaches from the New American Standard Version. They're both very good translations of the Bible. And what we're going to do is we're going to spend a little time reading this morning. And we're going to read a little more than we normally read. But we're going to go from Luke chapter 18, verse 31. And we're going to read through chapter 19. Now, what I want you to think about is this. What were the disciples? Here's your first question on your your handout. What were the disciples looking forward to that first Easter? They've been following Jesus now for three years. They have seen Jesus do some amazing miracles, right? Do you remember when he turned five loaves and two fish into enough lunch for over five? There were five thousand men, it says, plus women and children. Maybe that was a crowd of fifteen thousand. Can you imagine someone having the ability to take five loaves and two small fish and turn that into enough lunch 
for three towns of Preston. That's pretty amazing. Do you also remember what the crowd wanted to do with Jesus after that miracle? They came to make him a king. They were going to force him to be their king. How would you like to live in a kingdom where the king has the power to make bread out of nothing, if you will? How would you like to live in a kingdom where the king can calm a stormy sea? How would you like to live in a kingdom where the king can cast out demons? How would you like to live in a kingdom where the, all the hypocritical rulers of your day are out and all the low life, everyday folks with big problems are in? All right, this is what they're thinking. And they're on their way up to Jerusalem. But remember this, folks. Jesus' ministry is like a teeter-totter. He spends the first part of His ministry doing these miracles, proving to them that He's God. But He spends the last part of His ministry. Once they get that, what does He spend the last half of His ministry doing? He's telling them, I have to go to Jerusalem. I have to be crucified. I have to be betrayed and condemned. And I have to die. And by the way, after three days, I'll rise again. That's where we pick it up in Luke chapter 18 from verse 31. Okay, let's read together. And taking the twelve, he said to them, this is the third time Jesus is going to foretell his death. He says, and taking the twelve, he said to them, see, we are going up to Jerusalem and everything that is written about the son of man by the prophets will be accomplished for he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. But they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them and they did not grasp what was said. We'll come back to that point. As he drew near to Jericho, uh, put your finger there for just a second. You know the land of the land of Palestine. If you look, if you were looking at a map, we would have the Mediterranean Sea here. Okay, we have the uh, Sea of Galilee. All right, the Jordan River, the Dead Sea, and and up here in the Galilee is where Jesus was. And he came down past the lake, uh, or excuse me, by the the Sea of Galilee, and he would come down to Jericho, and then he would come up into Jerusalem, kind of from the south way. All right, and so he's leaving Galilee, he's coming through Jericho, and he's on his way up to Jerusalem. I've never been to the Holy Land, but do you know why they always talk about going up to Jerusalem? Jerusalem's elevation is a, was the city on a hill. It's up in the mountain ranges. It'd be like having a city up on the top of our ranges. That's where Jerusalem is. It's all on the top. And they would always go up to Jerusalem, literally up to Jerusalem. Now, let's, let's pick this up again now in verse um, 35. As he drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging and hearing a crowd going by. He inquired what this meant. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, What do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God and all the people when they saw it gave praise to God. He entered Jericho and was passing through. Now he's, he's got to Jericho. He's on his way through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. 
So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Lord, behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, today, salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. As they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem. Okay, they're moving up to Jerusalem now. And because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. Remember, this is why he tells this parable. He said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minas and said to them, engage in business until I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. When he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him that he might know what they had gained by doing business. The first came before him saying, Lord, your minute has made ten minutes more. And he said to him, Well done, good servant, because you have been faithful in very little. You shall have authority over ten cities. And the second came, Lord... Your minna has made five minas. And he said to him, And you are to be over five cities. Then another came, saying, Lord, here is your minna, which I kept up laid in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you, because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit, and reap what you did not sow. He said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit, and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank? And at my coming, I might have collected it with interest. And he said to those who stood by, take the minna from him and give it to the one who has ten minas. And they said, "Uh, Lord, he has ten minas. I tell you that to everyone who has more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. But as for these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead. Going up to Jerusalem, when he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany on the Mount of Olive, Mount called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? You shall say this, The Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away and found at just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. And as he was drawing near... Already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. 
And when they drew near the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes, for the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. And he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold, saying to them, It is written, My house shall be a house of prayer. But you have made it a den of robbers. And he was daily, and he was teaching daily in the temple. The chief priests and the scribes and the principal men of the people were seeking to destroy him, but they did not find anything they could do, for all the people were hanging on his words. Let's pray. Father in heaven, as we think about this passage and what we learn about what the disciples were looking forward to. When we think about Jesus and what He was looking at, and we think of others who saw things in this passage, and we think about our own hearts, what we're looking forward to with with regard to Easter, we pray that You will have Your way in our hearts, that our hearts would be open to receive this Word, and that we would respond as it would please You, God, and that this Easter season, 2016, might be a, a major mile marker for everyone here today, Lord, from the youngest to the oldest. It doesn't matter if we're saved or not. If we uh, have followed Christ for many years or just a few, we pray that this Easter week would be a banner week for all of us as we seek to know more about the Christ who came to save us, our King who would die in our place. In Jesus' name we ask this. Amen. So the question is, what are the disciples looking forward to? They're on their way to Jerusalem. Jesus has had, in previous times, He has had serious uh, encounters, run-ins, you might call them, with the scribes, with the Pharisees. He is not on their most popular list. In fact, He has already preached some very strong things to them, and He will preach a lot of strong things this week to them, calling them hypocrites, calling them a bunch of snakes. There's a lot of things that Jesus says about these guys, and they're not very happy with Him. Now, who's ruling... Uh, uh, the land of Israel at this time. Do you all remember? Who's, who's, who's the emperor supreme? All right? it's, it's Caesar, right? Caesar is over all of this. But in, in the province of Judea and Galilee, we've got Herod and Pilate. So we've got a couple Roman governors, but Rome is in charge of, of the Jews. When was the last time the Jews had a nation of their own? I mean, they've been ruled by outside nations for quite some time. It's some 600 years earlier when they were, um, um, 600 years before this, when they had a kingdom that was still set up. uh, Remember Saul and David and Solomon ruled the United Kingdom and then there was the divided kingdom. But then about 700 BC, the Babylonians come in and what happens to Jerusalem? It's leveled. They're hauled off. They're no more a people with their own country. From that point forward, it would be the Babylonians and then the Medo-Persians and then the Greeks and finally the Romans and they are being crushed. What do you think the Jews are looking forward to? They're looking forward to a Messiah. A Messiah is a king. And when they're on their way up to Jerusalem, they're thinking... Messiah thoughts. They're thinking kingdom of God thoughts. Look at look if if you want to see what they're thinking. First of all, 
go back to the very, very... Um, uh, in the middle of their praises, what are they saying? In verse 38, they're saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven, glory in the highest, Hosanna. This is what they're saying. How do you think that song is going to sound to the Roman governor's ears? Back up 30 years ago, a different King Herod, and he finds out there's news of a king born in Bethlehem. What does he do then? He kills a whole bunch of little babies, two years old and younger, in that province around Bethlehem. Why? Trying to get to this new king. Roman kings don't like the thought of anybody taking their place. And here these people are saying, blessed is the king. This isn't going to make them real popular with the Roman leaders. The Jewish leaders know this. They don't like it. In fact, they tell Jesus, rebuke your disciples. They shouldn't be saying these things. We're going to get in trouble and he's not our king. We're not recognizing him anyway. But what does Jesus say to them? Oh, you're right. I'm sorry about that. Hey, guys, you all pipe down. What does Jesus say? He says, I'll tell you the truth. If these people quit singing, those stones are going to start. And wouldn't that be a choir to hear, folks, right? How would you like to hear stones sing? They were going to shout that if the people were quiet, Jesus got this. So you think Messiah thoughts. In fact, in we, when we read the other two... Um, Accounts when uh, backing up to uh, chapter 18, when Jesus foretells his death, is this pretty plain? I know some of our little kids are gone, but even if our little kids were gone, take Timmy. Timmy's in the third grade. He's eight years old. If you read this to, to Timmy, and you said, we are going to Jerusalem and the Son of Man will be delivered to the Gentiles. He'll be mocked, shamefully treated, spit upon, flogged, crucified. And after three days, he will rise. Timmy in the third grade could say, what did Jesus just say? And you can give you a pretty good idea of what Jesus just said. But it's interesting. Did you see what it says in verse 34 of chapter 18? Why didn't the disciples get that? Isn't that interesting? It says in verse 34, But they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was said. Isn't that interesting? Grown men, intelligent minds, being taught by their teacher, here's the deal. I'm going to be delivered over to be crucified. I'm going to die and I'm going to rise. And they didn't get it. Whoosh. Right over their heads. How does that happen? Well, it says that these things were hidden from them. That's very important. Because, beloved, the Bible says that spiritual things are discerned by the Spirit. I'll say it this way. If you're learning calculus, you need to have a calculus teacher, right? When you're learning spiritual things, the Holy Spirit needs to open our hearts, open our minds to understand. And if you know what? Have you ever had a time in your life where you heard the truth, but you weren't getting it? There was a time in my life where I was hearing the truth. I knew I needed to turn to Christ and trust Christ for my salvation, turn from my sins, put my faith in Christ alone. And I, re- I rejected that. I ignored it. My mind and my heart wasn't open. Their minds were closed. Ironically, after Jesus is crucified, we'll read that this week if we're doing our reading schedule. Who did remember that Jesus said after three days he would rise again? 
The scribes and the Pharisees remembered that. In fact, they remembered it so well. They said, hey, we got to make sure they said to Pilate, we got to make sure we get this stone sealed because his, he said that deceiver when he was still alive, that after three days he would rise again. We don't want his disciples stealing the body. That would be kind of a bad deal. So Pilate says to them, you've got a guard. You can make that tomb as secure as you want. The disciples went over their heads. The enemies of Christ remembered what he said. That's kind of interesting, isn't it? All the disciples are so bummed out Jesus is dead. And all the Pharisees are worried about him rising again. And so this is what's going on. In fact, what's so interesting about this passage is in two other Gospels, Matthew and Mark, after Jesus tells his disciples this third time, I'm going to Jerusalem to die. Do you know what James and John come up and ask him? Hey, uh, by the way, Jesus, yeah, that was nice of that whole little speech about going to die and whatever. Can we be first when you get to be in your kingdom? Can we sit one on this hand and one on that hand? When you get to be king, we kind of want to sit by you. How many of you kids call shotgun? (laughs) All right. All right. Shotgun. What's that mean? I mean, we can be getting ready and still in the house getting our coats on. And one of my kids will say, shotgun. And what's that mean? It means I get to sit in the front. All right. And it says in the Bible, Matthew and Mark record this, that after James and John came up and said, oh, and what's interesting is Matthew says they brought their mom. You ever, did you ever read that? They brought their mom and their mom bows down before Jesus. She worships him and she says, Lord, I've got you. To, I just want you to answer one request of mine. And Jesus says, what's that? And she says, would you put my boys one on this side and one on that side? And it's, I thought about this this week. Do you remember what Jesus called James and John? They're referred to as the sons of whom? Zebedee. Zebedee was their dad. But Jesus renamed them. He said, no, I'm going to call you sons of thunder. And I thought, hmm, I wonder what his mom's name was. Is her name thunder? Because this lady has got a force. She comes up to Jesus, comes up to God and says, hey, I want one on this side and one on that side. They missed it. When you read this week, there is an argument at the Last Supper. The disciples are fussing about something. You know what they're fussing about? Shotgun. (laughs) Who gets to be first? And they are arguing while Jesus is hours from his betrayal, hours from the cross. They are arguing who gets to be first. Do you remember how Jesus settles that argument? You know what I mean? They are fussing. And Jesus gets up from table, probably in the middle of this argument, goes over there and picks up what? A basin of water and a towel. And they're all fussing about who gets to sit in shotgun. And Jesus humbles himself and he washes their feet. Folks, it's going right over their head. Jesus says, I'm going to go die. And James and John walk up to Jesus. It says, and then, right then, it happened right after they said, hey, by the way, can we be first? They're not getting it. Now, we're looking forward to Easter. What are they looking forward to? Well, let's go to this next paragraph briefly. Jesus heals a blind beggar. As he's going into Jericho. There's a blind man sitting there. Another gospel tells us his name is Bartimaeus. And he's sitting in there and he, he hears the crowd. And he hears, what's up? There's a crowd going by here. And it goes, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And what does he do? Son of David, have mercy on me. Okay, have you ever been around someone who's just acting awkward? And you kind of wish they would go away. And you're like, hey, someone shut him up. Would you move him out or whatever? And they say to this, they say to this to Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus has heard about Jesus. Jesus has been healing blind people. This isn't the first. He knows he's healed other blind people and he knows he's coming by. What does Bartimaeus do? 
son of David, that has king references, have mercy on me. And they're like, would you please be quiet? He will not be stopped. He is going to see Jesus and, and he, he's going to get Jesus to help him out and see Jesus. He wants to see again. Jesus said, what would you have me do? He said, I want my sight back. And he says, you got it. This is amazing. And the disciples are like, and we're his 12 followers. We're on our way to Jerusalem. This is amazing. Do you remember in the book of Isaiah? Isaiah said this in chapter 35. He says, when the Messiah comes, here's how you know God is with you. Because the blind will see. The lame will walk. And God's going to do all these miracles when he shows up. This is all talking about this king of theirs that they're following. So we've got a blind man who wants to see, who wants to see, he gets to see Jesus. Can you imagine being blind? It doesn't tell us how long he had been blind. He said, I would like to recover my sight, which means what? Yeah, some people born blind, they go through life, they don't know what colors look like. But can you imagine not being able to see the wife of your, see the wife, see your wife or children or your, your husband? Can you imagine having your sight and losing it? Never see your grandchildren again. Wouldn't that be sad? Be very sad. He says, I want my sight. Jesus gives him his sight. Then we meet this man, Zacchaeus. What kind of a man is Zacchaeus? He's a sinner. And everybody knew he was a sinner. In fact, he was a bad sinner. He was a tax collector. He was rich. How did tax collectors get their riches? They would charge more than they had authority to charge. And they would take the cream off the crop of these poor, oppressed people. And, but here's the man, and he wants to see Jesus. What's keeping Zacchaeus from seeing Jesus? can't see over the top of the crowd and nobody's about to let him get in front of them, right? Because he's a tax collector. So what does Zacchaeus do? He goes ahead, climbs a tree. Now Jesus is coming there. I, I love this story because here's this man that nobody likes. Everybody hates the tax collectors and Zacchaeus is a bad one because he's rich. They all know where he got their money from their pockets. And Jesus is walking along and he looks into that tree. And what does he say? He says he came to the place. He looked up and said to him, What would you think about this? Zacchaeus, you've never met Jesus in your life. And he walks under a tree. You're up there kind of hiding, trying to be inconspicuous. But he stops and he goes, Zacchaeus, come on down. I'm going to your house. And Jesus goes to this sinner's house. Are you guys okay with this? Are you okay with Jesus hanging out with sinners? Look what it says. They were very angry. They all grumbled. Why? Because he'd gone to be the guest of a man who was a sinner. What does Jesus say? Look at verse 9. He says, To today salvation has come to this house since he also is the son of Abraham. Verse 10, don't miss it. The son of man came to what? Seek and to save the lost. We... uh, Watched that movie Amazing Grace um, about John Newton. Not just me, not June. Wilbur Wilberforce freeing the slaves, and he, they sing the song Amazing Grace in there, right? I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. Zacchaeus was lost, and Jesus found him. Jesus came to seek lost people, He came to seek and to save the lost. How many of you were lost at one point in your life? Oh, everybody can raise their hand, right? Did Jesus find you? And did He save you? Well, now look at the next parable. Jesus says, as they heard these things, He proceeded to tell a parable because He was near to Jerusalem. Why did He tell them this parable? Because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. They thought Jesus was going to set up this kingdom right side, left side, 
kick the Romans out, however he's going to do it. He's got the power. I mean, if you can calm a storm, you can put lightning in your hand. You can do a lot of things. This is really going to be a good thing. They suppose that. But Jesus told them this whole parable because he wanted them to understand, no, there's a kingdom, a man who received a kingdom. He went to get the kingdom. He left some people in charge and he came back. He's trying to get them thinking longer term. Do you think they got this? Shake your heads this way. They didn't get it. They're not getting this whole thing because their Messiah is on his way to town. In fact, what happens next? Now we have this whole thing about the donkey and riding into Jerusalem. And, you know, this is right out of Scripture. Zechariah 9.9. He says, Behold, your king is coming to you. He is meek and is riding on a donkey's colt. Now, a donkey's colt. How big is a donkey's colt? Do any of you raise donkeys? You've seen donkeys, right? Donkeys are a smaller animal. They're not like a horse. You sit kind of low. And a colt, I mean, I imagine his feet barely off the ground. I mean, it's just enough to get his feet off the ground. But if you were a king, what kind of, a, what kind of an animal would you ride? Oh, it'd be a big old horse, right? Stallion, man. This thing would be rearing and throwing his hot hair around and acting crazy and stomping, right? I would ride a proud horse, not Jesus. The Bible said when the Messiah comes, when the king comes, he will come meek and lowly. He'll ride on a donkey's colt. And you know what? The interesting thing about this donkey is it had never been ridden. I heard a story about a, 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 a man from Damascus, a modern day man from Damascus, whose job was to train donkey colts. And he, someone told him that Jesus rode a donkey colt without ever being... Um, Ridden before, he goes, he must have been God. Because nobody rides a donkey colt. And, and if you've, how many of you have horses or have ever trained a horse? It's not easy training any little thing, young thing to ride. He rides this colt, he comes into town. And what are the disciples thinking? We've already covered that. Blessed is the king. They're having kingly Messiah thoughts. But what does Jesus do on his way to town? Imagine him, you know, when you come from the north and you drive down the drive down the highway, you're coming into town and, you know, you get to about where that um, radio station is and you're kind of still up on the table a little bit and you can look down over Preston. Imagine Jesus coming to the city of Jerusalem. What does he do? Is Jesus thinking about, man, this is so cool. I get to be the king thoughts. No, Jesus is thinking what? Look in verse um, 41. When he drew near, he saw the city. He wept over it. Jesus saw the city and he wept over it. And he said, would you that even you had known on this day the sayings that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. Here's Jesus wanting us to get it. Jesus wants us to get it. Do you remember the parable of the sower? The Bible says a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, the seed fell on different types of soil, right? And some seed fell on the hard path. Some seed fell on the stony ground where it popped up in the warmth, but it withered in the heat. Some seed fell among the thorns that got choked. And some seed fell on good ground. And Jesus is basically saying, unfortunately, these people's hearts were hardened. The truth of the Bible wasn't getting into their hearts because the devil was coming and taking it away like a bird would on a path. And Jesus is, this bothers Jesus. In fact, Jesus, God, the creator, weeps. He weeps. When's the last time you wept? When's the last time you just like had this thing in your gut that wouldn't stop shaking because you're so broken over something that happened? Jesus is weeping. 
He's weeping. He's not thinking about being a king. He's weeping over these people because the sayings of his that would could change their lives, could change their hearts, are hidden from their eyes. Beloved, there was a time in my life when I, I came to church with a hard heart. I wasn't getting it. And I'd sit in church, I'd sit in Sunday school, and the word would go out, it would land on my heart, but like a bird, it would be carried, I mean, it would be carried off. And I wasn't doing anything for me. But we can pray that God would soften our hearts. God would soften our hearts. We don't want to miss this opportunity to know Jesus when He comes. He will be our King, but it has to be a King in our hearts. The disciples were looking to a Messiah King, an earthly kingdom who could free them from earthly times and oppressions and set them up and maybe give them a good job. But that's not how this Messiah comes. Jesus comes to touch your heart and my heart. He wants to rule inside of my mind, in my life. He wants to be the King who, who forgives my sins. He wants, as we sang in that song, Amazing Love, He wants to be the King who will take your place on the cross. And that's what He does this week. We read about His suffering and His passion and, and how He came to do this. But Jesus weeps because they're not going to get it. And how Jesus wants us to get it. Jesus wants us to come to Him with a humble heart and admit, Lord, I am like Zacchaeus. I am a sinner. But you know what, folks? That's good news. Jesus came to seek and to save the sinner. Jesus came to heal those of us whose eyes are blind or who have been blinded. Maybe we're blinded by pride or maybe we're caught up in this life's good worldly pleasures or whatever. Somehow, some way, Jesus wants us to see. What are you looking forward to this Easter? Easter 2016 can be a huge time for you and for me. A time, if we are born again Christians, we can be a wonderful time of renewal and refocus. If, if the God of the Bible and Jesus is something we're not quite sure about and haven't really ever accepted Him into our heart and our life through faith, maybe this is the year we just kind of plow in here and we go, well, I want to find out more about this Jesus. I've heard about the cross and I've heard about what He did that last week, but Lord, I want to know more. I want it to be personal for me. You know, it says here in the last um, passage that we read, after Jesus cleansed the temple, by the way, that's another big, huge thing. Because what does he say when he cleanses that temple? It is written, my house. He doesn't say it is written, God's house. He says, it is written, my house. And he says, my house shall be a house of prayer. He quotes a scripture, my house, but he's speaking it as if he's owning it. Personally, my house shall be a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of robbers. Now, this is what I want to leave us with this week. Looking forward to Easter. He was teaching daily in the temple. The chief priests and the scribes and the principal men of the people were seeking to destroy him, but they did not find anything they could do for all the people were hanging on his words. And I pray that this week could be a week where you... Hang on His words. I pray that somehow as you spend time reading about Jesus and what He suffered and you personalize it and you think He did that for me, that you take some time to hang on His words. Beloved, because in, in the end, when we all stand, there will, come a, there will come a morning when all of us will stand before God. Every one of us here will stand before God. And, and at that day... The only thing that will matter will be, did we hang our life 
on the words of Christ? Did we hang all our hopes on Jesus Christ alone? And if we did, we'll be blessed beyond words or imagination forever and ever. Woe to those who miss it. And may God open our hearts as we go into this Easter week. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are looking forward to Easter this coming Sunday. We have no guarantee, Lord, that next Sunday we we heard of Carla's dad dying, a dear old saint in the Lord. We don't know if we'll all be here next week. And we don't know, Lord, when you'll come again, but we do pray if time stands and we're allowed to be here next Sunday, that through this week you would help us to hang our hearts on your word. Everything that you say, everything that you've done, that we would understand that as we read the Bible, you're speaking to us. And we can receive your word as a little child. May your word go into good soil. And may we seek by the power of your Holy Spirit to understand and bear fruit for Jesus' sake. We love you and we thank you. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed be he who has come in the name of the Lord. We pray in Christ our King. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week and a great looking forward to Easter. I gotta get you for anybody else. No, I always will have weird.